This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom Dioria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom Dioria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the fourth Sunday of December. It's December 27, 2015. I hope you all had a great uh, Christmas and I'm looking forward to a safe and uh, happy uh, 2016. And sorry to hear about if you're listening to the uh, news and weather uh, before the show started. Uh, wish all those people that are getting inundated with bad weather uh, a safe time to recovery. Uh, we're on at uh, 3 p.m. in Arizona and 5 p.m. in uh, New York, where we're headquartered. And we're live from our New York offices. And we're going to have an interesting show for you today, Better Giving Through Technology, with our guest, uh, Patrick Coleman. I'm Tom Diori. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this through our industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can send your email suggestions to techtalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listing area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can use that email address I gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com, to send us questions throughout the show. We do monitor that. If we don't get you on today's show, we'll definitely send you an answer and try and get it on next week. And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio but you want to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show or again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. They're archived. You can download them, listen to them as many times as you want, send them to your friends. It's free. So please take advantage of that, and please call in any time during the show. We'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. First segment, so we can review its increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dan Dioria, Dave Brandon, and Jose Batista. Okay, P tells us that Senator Charles Schumer is calling for federal homeland security officials to investigate computer hacking into systems controlling U.S. infrastructure. On a visit to a small flood control dam 20 miles north of New York City, happens to be near where we're headquarters, uh, Schumer says the recent report that Iranian hackers probed the dam's control system two years ago highlight the risk to the water systems, rail line, industrial systems, and power grids. One of the things they don't tell you there is that Homeland Security just happened to forget to tell the Westchester County government that this happened two years ago. Even though uh, we're part of a joint task force, uh, then they should have been aware and, and informed everybody. So it's a big question of why that didn't happen. He's asking the Demo, uh, he being Schumer, the senator, 
and is asking the Department of Homeland Security for an immediate and thorough investigation of what are the incident calling for federal authorities to work with state and local officials nationally to establish safeguards. The New York Democrat says he's unable to find out how many similar incidents have occurred since 2013. The information is classified. He says Congress should be briefed, and if not, it should be made public. Okay, the Daily News tells us that the city's Department of Education was sent to approve a whopping $1.1 billion five-year contract to a Long Island firm, Custom Computer Specialist, CCS, for computer hardware and software services for all schools. One of the city's most dog parent advocates, Maloney Hamson, of Class Size Matters, was the first to spot a small reference to the new contract that had been quietly posted on the DOE's website only days before the Panel for Education Policy was scheduled to vote on it. Hamison alerted public advocate Lietta James and City Councilwoman Helen Rosenthal, both of whom demanded to know why one of the biggest contracts in the school system history was being handed out with virtually no public notice or explanation. There is a wholesome outcome to this unsavory tale. The DOE now recommends hiring a dozen vendors to do the same work for just $472 million. That's a savings to the taxpayers of $627 million. The DOE broke up one used contract into smaller pieces, according to one city source. They held separate bids for computer services for hardware, even splitting hardware procurement among several companies. Dell Computer will now manage networking services while employing half a dozen subcontractors and at least four other companies will supply hardware. That includes a minority-owned business, ASI Systems. It's very interesting that uh, nobody pursued that more and found out how that got through the system. I think that requires a little bit more investigation. Uh, we have an interesting article here that we saw in the Wall Street Journal in the uh, Saturday-Sunday edition. Uh, if you have an iPhone... A few weeks after purchasing an Apple Watch, Will Foreman smelled the problem. Mr. Forrest, a manager at Freebirds World Burrito in Thousand Oaks, California, was cutting meat when the timer on his watch started buzzing and beeping. With his hands covered in meat juices, Mr. Forrest sniffed out a solution. He silenced the alarm with his nose. So if you know, if you have an iPhone watch, you know you can use your nose. Um, and he said it definitely works. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. This is a quote from him, Mr. Forrest. Eight months after Apple uh, introduced its uh, smartwatch, early adopters are finding that they come to face to face with their device more often than they anticipated. Um, and uh, it goes on to say that they did a survey. Forty-six percent of the thousand forty people. Will uh, who responded, say they had used their nose as an input device. Another 28% said they hadn't tried it but wanted to give the nose a tap. So I guess uh, we're going to see what happens, especially uh, um, useful, I guess, if you're in colder climates and you have gloves on, uh, using the uh, your nose may help. Business Insider tells us that you're being targeted by government hackers, then Marissa Mayer has got your back. Yahoo has announced in a blog post that it will warn users if it thinks their accounts are being attacked by state-sponsored hackers. Yahoo joins numerous other tech companies taking similar measures as privacy issues becoming increasingly front and center. Um, how does Yahoo determine that an attack is state-sponsored? It's not saying in order to prevent the actors from learning the detection message, we do not share any details 
publicly about these attacks. However, rest assured, we only send these notifications of suspected attacks by state-sponsored actors when we have a high degree of confidence. So uh, maybe you'll get contacted if you're a Yahoo user. Um, bottom line, personal tells us that consider having a heart scan before you take statins, advises uh, one of the doctors, a coronary artery calcium test, looks for signs of plaque in the heart, it's going to be a risk factor for heart attack victims. It only costs about $100, and even though the, this is not a technology issue, the technology that they use to do it is pretty sophisticated, and um, it's pretty good. So I think that uh, you may want to ask your doctor or your heart doctor about that if you have a, a history in your family. Daily Mail tells us that uh, from your fingerprint and your eye, there are many alternative methods to log into your online accounts if you struggle to remember passwords. Google is rumored to be testing a password-free login system that uses a phone as authentication. The search site is among many companies um, hoping to abolish PINs, which can notoriously be insecure thanks to people's predictable habits. They are particularly keen to kill the password because, according to cybersecurity firm Telsign, one in five people use a password that's more than 10 years old, and almost three-quarters of us use duplicate pins, making them relatively easy to crack. Virginia-based systems engineer Rohit Paul, known as RP1225 on Reddit, said he received an email invitation to test a new Google login method that uses a smartphone for authentication. Instead of relying on a pin or a phrase to identify an account, uses information on the phone's security setting and a user's location data. An FAQ included with the invitation notes the program is a working project process and that users can still use the password in case their phone is lost or missing. So that's pretty interesting. You can opt out of that. Finally, I want to tell you that uh, West Texas News tells us that T-Mobile recently launched a new program that allows users to watch videos without using their data allotment. But now the new program is drawing huge criticism. YouTube has recently accused it of degrading the quality of its videos and other users. So uh, you may want to uh, keep an eye out if you're doing that. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guest. We're going to talk to you about better giving through technology. I'm Tom Dioria. This is IMI's Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. It's Sunday, December 27, 2015. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. My Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiUria. It's Sunday, the 27th of December, 2015. It's our last show this year. And as I mentioned to you uh, before the break, our show today is going to be on better giving through technology with our guest, Patrick Coleman. He serves as president and chief executive officer of the Coleman Group Consulting, which focuses on increasing the financial health and performance of client organizations through strategic sourcing. As an extension of this work with clients in the nonprofit sector, Patrick and his team developed Give Central, a web-based donation platform designed to improve fundraising efforts by making it easier for donors to give, for nonprofits to connect with donors, and for administrators to 
efficiently manage it all. His diverse educational pursuits include a Master's of Management degree from Northwestern University, a Master of Divinity and Baccalaureate in Sacred Technology from the University of St. Mary of the Lake, and a B.S. in Foreign Service from Georgetown University. Patrick, thanks for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. We're excited to be here. Okay, so um, charitable giving and technology, how do they meld? Well, one of the realities today is that the way that people prefer to give today is very different than what we did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. You know, if you look back a little while, people preferred primarily to give via cash or check. And now just as we use technology more and more as part of our daily lives, the way that we prefer to give is as diverse as we are, whether that is on our phones, on our computer, via texting. So in order for charities to be successful today, they need to kind of bridge the gap between the old world and the new world in order to uh, be successful. Now, you've been doing this for a while. Um, what areas do you see that um, these types of organizations are lacking, um, or I guess just in general, where where can improvements be made? Uh, I know that uh, I'm on the board of a museum that, uh, you know, most not-for-profits these days struggle uh, in raising funds. And I also know that my church now has, instead of putting money in the basket as it's passed around every Sunday, you can go on some automatic system. But where do you, where do you see the electronic charitable giving and um, how does this help them raise more money if, if they learn about it, A, and B, they do it right? Well, the part on can it help, what we've seen with a lot of charities, particularly the smaller charities, is the difference can almost be immediate and it can be significant in terms of what, what it is. The challenge for a lot of the charities is that they're a little bit uncomfortable with this transition to both the new way of giving and even a newer way of communication. And so many of them want to kind of, quote, unquote, dip their toes into what's going on. So there's one charity that we were working with, and they kind of allowed people to give online, but in order to set up their gift, they needed to call the office of the charity between nine and five to set up their gift. And one of the things that they didn't actually realize, which we see in our system every day, is that the average donor that is going online to make their gift actually does it late at night. A lot of times it's mom or dad after they've gotten home, had dinner, put the kids in bed, is when they're going in and online to either pay bills, make gifts, think about what they're going to do. So you having someone available in the office to take a call from 9 to 5 isn't going to be as successful for you as having something that the donors themselves can access 24 hours a day. The other part that goes along with that, which a lot of churches see every day, is they've been very comfortable for forever with the bulletin. You know, and their primary way that they've loved to communicate with their donors is with their, with their bulletin. 
but on average when we look at it, their bulletins are only read by about 15% of their faith communities on a weekly basis. Whereas when they send out an email to their faith community, it can actually be opened by as many as 50% of the people. So we'll see regularly that when a good email is sent out to the, um, you know, from the charity to their, um, uh, to the group associated with it, the open rate will often be somewhere between 20 and 50%, which is amazing. Because a normal business, if, if you're like a Walmart or a Walgreens, even if you get a few percent of the people to open up that communication, you are excited. But from our charities, the people are opening it up as often as 50%, which again says they want to hear from their charity and they want to get that communication. So the critical part for them to understand is that their donors are probably ahead of where they are as leaders. In fact, you're at board meetings sometimes, and when you're at the board meeting of the charity, some of the older board members will say, I just don't understand what's going on. You know, people gave checks and were very comfortable with that, and that's what I prefer. But what you and I individually prefer may not be what your donors themselves prefer. So putting yourself in the shoes of your donors and allowing for greater flexibility um, is critical. In fact, we had one inner city school that we were working with, and we finally got them to put up a link up on their website for people to give. And they're like, ah, we don't think that it's, it's going to work. Well, they did it last year just before Christmas, and about two weeks later, they had gotten $20,000 in donations from Atlanta. And their first thought was, this has to be a mistake. This money can't be for our charity. And we actually called up the donors to find out what happened. These were kids that had grown up in the inner city and had gone to that school and felt, you know, felt fondly about their memories and what that did to make them successful today. And they were looking at Christmas time to make a gift and to reach out. And when the charity put the link up there, they you know, they clicked on it, made the donation, and they were happy to do that. So people want to help their charities. We often just don't make it as easy for them as they would like us to make it. So you raise a, uh, a number of questions, the first one being, how do you educate the charity that, Technology is a good thing, isn't that? Don't I mean you were just mentioning some of the donors um, have a problem with uh, you know using technology because they like writing checks. How do you, I mean? Do they come to you and say we heard this is a good idea, or do you educate them in some way? You know, often after you have a conversation with them, it it starts to click, and everyone realizes they need to do something at this point. But again, their thought pattern is it's okay for us to dip our toe in and just do a little something. The problem is at this point it's no longer possible for you to just dip your toe in to be successful. It's like you have to kind of go full bore and make it um, as flexible as possible. In fact, one of the one of the analogies I often use with people is I say in today's world it's an and world and not an or world. It's about people, some people are going to prefer to give cash. Some people are going to prefer to give checks. 
Other people are going to prefer to give via their smartphone. Others via their desktop. Others are going to prefer to give via text. Every way that someone wants to give is the right way for them. And we need to create as few barriers for people to give as possible. The fewer barriers about the time of day, the way that they want to do it, the more likely we are to maximize the possibility of giving. The other part that's that's changing is not only the technology for the giving, but the technology for the communications. The need for embracing email, for embracing Facebook, for uh, Twitter, even LinkedIn. We're working with one charity a couple of weeks ago, and they sent out a little post about what was going on at their school, and they were trying to close out a debt for a building program that they had. And just through one simple communication, they were able to raise almost half a million dollars and cut their debt in half over a two-week period. We saw it. We saw it also about a year ago um, with a disaster outside the United States, where people would ordinarily kind of give cash um, for the gift, and we helped the charity set up an online portal for them to take the donations for the charity. And in four days, they were able to collect $125,000, and the average gift that the people gave online was $125. That's amazing. Yeah. So the the ability to give people the time to think about and be more flexible is critical. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, We're talking to Patrick Coleman about Better Giving Through Technology. Uh, Sunday, December 27, 2015. I'm Tom Diori, and this is IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria, and it's the 27th of December. It's our last show in 2015. Hope you all had a great Christmas. Um, we're talking today with Patrick Coleman about better giving through technology, and uh, Patrick was giving us some examples uh, for the break in the in the second segment about uh, what he's he's been able to do. Um, I guess, Patrick, like, one of the questions um, that they must ask, being the not-for-profits that, that you deal with, um, is examples of what you said, but is there, a, is there, have you found any downside, I guess, to them adding technology? Because they're adding technology as a, as a source of, of funding, not replacing all their others, right? It is adding, yes. It's it's and. And the critical part there is that they're working with someone who understands how to do it well and is passionate about it. And usually with a lot of the charities, there might be someone on their board or even if there isn't someone in the organization itself who is a little bit more knowledgeable and a little bit more familiar with what's going on. Um, you know, one school, for example, that we were working with, they're like, well, you know, no one actually uses Facebook or, you know, none of our people are actually all that interested in it. And what we actually found for this elementary school was that there was actually 
15 different alumni Facebook pages that had already been created for that, that school. So their alumni were talking to each other. It's just that the school itself wasn't talking to them. And that's the point, is that their people, our people, are actually more ready to embrace this than even some of our leadership at the charities are. We were working with one church that was right next to a Del Webb community, and they were convinced that their senior community wouldn't want to embrace this. And so we talked to them, and we said, well, let's just start. We're going to send out a monthly email communication um, to the community, and we're going to, you know, create some links and make it easier for people to reach out. And what happened was they were already taking in about 20000 a month through electronic check. And in about an eight-week period, their, commun- their giving went up from 20000 a month electronically to over $60,000 a month electronically. And they were shocked. But what they didn't realize is that we start to assume that our communities are very homogenous and we draw these broad generalizations. And yes, there are seniors that aren't embracing the change, but there's also a large group of seniors that are Skyping their grandkids or FaceTiming, you know, with their grandkids. Um, And so people like my parents may think, well, advanced technology is using the remote control to turn on NCIS. But there's a larger group of population out there, as much as 40% of the seniors, that are really comfortable and embracing that. So we need to do something that embraces the 60% that may not be as comfortable, which could be a written newsletter or uh, a written communication, and then something that reaches out the other 40% that does prefer email or text or mobile communication. And reaching out to both is what's going to make the charity successful. Now, does uh, your organization, um, why don't you tell us about the Coleman Group Consulting, and then I can ask you specific questions about the charity aspects of it. Well, our entire focus is on working with charities. And Give Central itself came out from um, actually some work that we had been doing with specific charities. And what we found was the solutions that were out there weren't really personalized for the charity's needs. They were using things like PayPal, but what happened was when people got their, made their donation, they got this communication back that said, thank you for their payment, which is actually the opposite of what the donors are looking for. What people are looking for when they make a donation to a museum or to a school is that it's going to show up on their credit card statement or bank statement as, you know, my elementary school, my university, my museum. And they're also going to look for personalized communication that comes back to them and says thank you. In fact, for a lot of charities, I've asked a bunch of the charitable leaders, I say, how often do you say thank you to, you know, your donors? And many of them will, on average, answer once or twice a year, which is probably not enough. So actually, every gift that someone makes can be an opportunity for not only you to recognize the gift, but say thank you to them for that gift and have it personalized with the message from your uh, from your community. And so... By looking at this and listening to this, what we did was we built a tool set that allowed people to give in any way that they wanted at any time of the day 
and for all the communications to come back personalized. So nothing about what we do actually says give central, you know, from the donor's perspective. Everything that we do says my elementary school, my church, my museum. So all the communication comes back from the charity personalized, and it allows people to give at a time of day in way that they want to. There was some tools out there, for example, that allowed people to give, but they had to give on one or two days a month. And what we found in some communities is people would give online, but they may not get paid on a Wednesday or they may not get paid on a Thursday. So they wanted to be able to choose the day of the month or the day of the week that they wanted to. They wanted to be able to select, you know, how often the money comes out. In fact, we were working with a group of millennials in and one of the charitable leaders was saying, you know, we are encouraging people to give, you know, a $1,000 gift once a year, which for a certain generation may be very good. But how about if you made it easy for the millennial to give, you know, uh, $50 every, every week or $20 every week? And that's something that they can budget into what goes on for them and makes it easy for them to contribute. In fact, in the research that we do, because our system is able to track both regular givers um, via paper check and cash as well as online givers, online givers will on average give more about 35% more than check givers and about 80% more than uh, cash givers on an annual basis. So again, it isn't to say that one way is right and another way is wrong. It's saying that Every way that someone wants to do it is going to be good for you, but creating more options is actually going to increase the pie rather than shrink it for you. Patrick, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you how you got into this aspect of, uh, of technology and giving. You have a really diverse background that we read when we were doing your, your intro, um, Master of Management, um, Master of Divinity, a BS in Foreign Service. How did, how did that all meld into what you're doing? You know, I had worked with a bunch of charities, you know, throughout my career, but usually on the board were helping out, you know, starting them. So years ago with another friend we had started a, like a homeless shelter program in northwest Cook County. Years later I had, you know, been on a, a, a board for a helpline. I was a board president for United Way. And I had worked with a bunch of charities. And then in my professional career, it spent a long time with um, one of the larger consulting firms focusing on kind of global change enablement. And when I started my firm, I thought my focus was going to be kind of more on for-profit organizations. But a bunch of the charities that I had used to work with said, could you help us look at how we're dealing with some of our dealing with some of our processes and help us with some of the same things that you're doing with regular organizations and before i knew it 100% of our time was focused on these mission driven organizations and you know we we haven't looked back since it's you know there's nothing greater than being able to work with an organization that's struggling from a charity perspective and in a couple months you're able to you know increase the revenue or reduce their expenses and help them be more successful in their mission there was one charity we were working with a couple months ago 
and they were actually taking in about 30000 a month through um, a couple different ways. In about eight weeks, we were able to help them increase their giving to over $200,000 a month through some of the things that we're talking about right now. And, you know, 200000 to a multi-billion dollar organization isn't going to mean a lot. But for some of these smaller charities, that means the world. You know, it allows them to be better educators, you know, be better servants in their community, you know, uh, be stronger church communities. So that's kind of how it happened, and it was a surprise to me, but it's been fun. Patrick, uh, I want to ask you, we're going to take a break now, but I want to ask you when we come back from the break, um, once you convince them that going toward this technology solution is a good idea, how do you convince them that whatever the fee is that you're going to charge will be offset down the road by the increased revenues. So uh, when we come back from the break, uh, maybe we can pick it up there. This is Tom Diorio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 27th of December, 2015. We're talking to Patrick Coleman about better giving through technology. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria, and it's Sunday, December 27, 2015. We're talking to Patrick Coleman about better giving through technology. And, Patrick, uh, before I get to that question I asked you before the break, if our listeners want to follow up with you, have a charity that they're working with, the things they could use as a service, what's the best way for them to do that? You know, they can call our office. Um, Anytime, um, it's our phone number is three one two eight five zero four one three four. That's three one two eight five zero four one three four. Or they could actually send me an email to Patrick at givecentral.org, and uh, we'll get back to them right away. Okay, and it doesn't make any difference where they are. You're not uh, specific to a certain part of the country, are you? No, we're actually working with charities in about 15 different states right now. Yep. That's great. Okay, so I know being on a bunch of boards that they're very conscious about, uh, you know, spending money. So how do you convince them that this is a good idea to spend money on your services and it will come around and get them in the end anyway uh, and be significantly beneficial over the years? You know, usually the, the cost part is probably the easiest part. The, the biggest challenge that we often have is their first thought is that it's going to be too much work for them to do this. And what, we, what we've seen is it doesn't take a lot of work for small and medium-sized charities to do this. It actually takes only about five or ten hours a month of, to really do this well because if you can get out, you know, a good one paragraph social media posting and a couple paragraph email there's a there's a lot of good that can happen so their first issue always is this is going to be complicated and it's going to be a lot of work and what we need to convince them of first is a you need to do this and b it's worthwhile to spend the 5 or 10 hours a month to do that on the cost side most of them are usually doing something already and usually our costs are anywhere from 20 to 50% less than what they're doing. So, you know, to use Give Central and all the tools, actually, we've built in a lot of this stuff to be completely free. So, you know, the cost to them is only really about 
$20 a month plus um, the cost for Visa and MasterCard. And our costs are just a couple basis points in that. So, you know, with, with Visa that the, or MasterCard for the charities, the rates can be as low as 1.5%. So from a cost standpoint, it really isn't that. One of the, the concerns that sometimes they have is they think that this is going to eat into what's already coming from, you know, what we're getting from cash or checks. And, again, what we see across the, you know, the donor population that we're working with already is once you make these options available, the people who make the switch from paper check to electronic giving, you will see their gifts go up on average by 35%. And those that make the switch from cash to electronic giving, you'll see their gifts go up by 80 to 90%. So in terms of that, your ROI is almost infinite. You're going to see a benefit within four to eight weeks from doing this. So the cost to it shouldn't be any reason to stop, and neither should the time. We can probably spend a little bit less time on our newsletters and on some of the paper stuff that we're doing already and and devote a little bit more time to some of these other activities where it, it can allow us to reach a broader audience more quickly. That's pretty impressive. Where do you see this all going in the next, you know, two to five years? Well, where we are today is it is definitely an and world. You know, it is cash and checks and online giving. But over the next several years, one of the realities is that the number of checks written in the United States continues to decrease by almost 10% a year. And within five to ten years, it's it's going to be almost gone away. The other real trend is that both the websites and the way that people give have to be much more mobile-friendly. And so a lot of charities, you know, uh, churches in particular, probably only 40% of them actually have functioning websites. And of that group, it's a smaller percentage that actually have websites that are even mobile responsive. So the tools that you allow for giving and the tools that you're going to do are going to have to become much more mobile responsive and even allow for things like text to give and things like that. So one of the neat things that we built in, for example, is if someone makes a gift in, in, to a charity and they make a follow-up gift you know, via text, the system will actually recognize that donor and will allow the gift without any, without any problems whatsoever. So no matter which way you give, whether you go online or you give via the phone or you give via text, the system is going to recognize who you are if you're already in the system. If, if you're not, it will allow you to uh, get set up, you know, in as few as like three to five minutes um, from that perspective. The other neat thing from the donor's perspective, which goes to one of the, the critical things for all of our charities, is we have to create greater transparency. We did a national survey that that where donors highlighted 58% have said the number one reason that I give is because I know that this money is going to be used for people in need. So when they know what you're going to do with the money and the funds and how it's going to be useful, you're much more likely to be more successful in um, <clears throat> in raising money overall. So it's not only just about asking, but it's also about communicating 
you know, what are we doing at the museum with the money? What are we doing at the school? How is this helping with the kids' education? How is this helping at the church with the food pantry or with some of the other ministries? How is this helping with our seniors? And so the more transparency we create for how we're doing it, and that's one of the great things that technology allows you to create a sense of immediacy about that, the more successful that you uh, you can be. Well, that's pretty interesting. I mean, uh, do you get any pushback or questions uh, about security, um, you know, how secure it is using this type of a vehicle to donate? You do. And, in fact, I, I was at one, the, the one next to the senior community, Del Webb, and actually one of the local police chiefs was there and someone brought up the question. And one of the things that we actually talked about was the most insecure form of payment that we have is actually our paper check because there's so much financial information about an individual that's on a paper check that doesn't exist anywhere else. It has your name. It has your address. It actually has your bank account number and your routing number. So if anyone gets access to that, they have a lot of information about who you are. But in terms of the electronic giving, you know, the critical parts of security for that are to make sure that where you're doing it, the website that you're doing it is HTTPS secure. It would be important to ask, is the charity PCI compliant, which is one of the national standards for the credit card industry about how people store and what they deal with that? And beyond that, how do they actually store the card or the banking information itself? One of the things that really, you know, good tools use is they'll use what's called a tokenization system where the data is encrypted and it's stored in a separate place so that no one can actually get access to the bank or card information once it's in there. So for us, for example, in our system, once someone is set up in the system, no one has actually any access to their data on, on except for the last four digits of the, uh, of the account number. And no one can actually ever gain access to that because of the way the encryption is set up in the system. Well, that makes it uh, pretty secure. Any uh, last-minute thoughts? We're running out of time. Uh, this is a great show. I'm going to get my museum, the Hudson Museum, to contact you because we could use a little extra help in uh, raising funds now that government is cutting back on their support. Well, one of the important things for charities, again, in the last week of the year is December is the month for the greatest giving. 31% of all gifts happen this month. And these next couple of days before New Year's are actually the greatest charitable giving days of the year. So the two things that I would encourage all the charities to do is to reach out and let your donors know. And also, this is a great, great time to say thank you. Again, the more often that we say thank you, 68% of donors are more likely to reach out and and be more active with that charity on a go-forward basis. Patrick, and again, thank, you. I, thank you very anyone, much for being with us. We really appreciate it. This was a great show. We have to have, you on, have to have you on again to follow up. I want okay. to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's President, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Riddens, our producer, Ted, Ted Tenshaw is our associate producer. Matt Campagni is our executive producer. And without the help of the KFNX AM 1100 production department, you wouldn't have heard a word we said. Thanks again for listening. And please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week in 2016 at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions.
for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week and thanks again for listening.